From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Good day, everybody, and, and welcome to the LPL Research Market Signals podcast. Uh, I am Mark Zabicki, Chief Investment Officer of LPL Financial. Joining me today is Lawrence Gillum, Fixed Income Strategist. Lawrence, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mark. I, uh, I, I, we're, we're seeing some positive action in, in both the equity and bond market, so that makes the, the day a little bit easier. Yeah, it's, it, in, indeed. And we're going to get into some of that. So just a note for the audience, we are recording this on Tuesday, um, October 4th. Uh, so as, as you as you see this, open up the podcast. It is recording uh, Tuesday, um, October fourth. So just in terms of uh, the disclosures that we're required to show, um, the this is the these are the the various disclosures uh, for the Market Signals podcast, and then. Uh, let's just talk about Lawrence a little bit of what happened last week. I know we're going to get into. Uh, what's happening over the last couple of days, yesterday, certainly, and, and today so far. Uh, and we've got some notable commentary around that. But I just want to touch on some of the moving pieces drove markets last week and actually uh, really ended markets last week on a down note overall for the month of, of, of September. But a lot of news was coming out uh, of the UK regarding what was happening with the British pound and also with uh, gilt yields. Um, and, you know, LDI strategies within, you know, pension funds. Um, so can you kind of give uh, the folks uh, in the audience a little a little bit of a breakdown as, as some of the moving parts that were happening in the UK? Yeah, for sure. It looked like the, uh, the, the bond vigilantes were back uh, last week as it related to the UK gilt market. You know, the, the, the Liz Trust government unveiled the kind of a surprise mini budget that turned out to be anything but mini as it related to expected tax cuts. Uh, and that caused a broad based sell off in the gilt markets. We saw yields on you know longer dated gilts up by 100, 125 basis points over the course of a couple of days. Uh, so that, I mean, it, it's important to remember bonds are financial obligations. So when we see that type of move higher in yields, that tends to cause stresses in other parts of, of the market, other parts of, of the economy. And that's certainly what we saw as it related to these LDI accounts, these liability-driven investing accounts. These are pension funds that are really big and popular in the, in the UK, where they own long-dated uh, gilt securities to kind of offset their longer-dated liabilities uh, as well. And when you see a massive sell-off in these markets, you know a lot of times, it, particularly if, if they are levered, which it seems like they were, that caused uh, the potential for, for margin calls. So the Bank of England was really backed up into a corner here and, and, and offered to intervene and and try to settle down the gilt markets. Uh, but that certainly had uh, kind of rollover impacts into our markets, both on the equity markets and on the fixed income markets. We saw treasury yields here in the U.S. spike higher right after that announcement as well. So um, that was an unexpected kind of fiscal policy. We'll call it a, a mistake, frankly. Uh, that that uh, unsettled markets and and caused a, a, a you know a big uh, sell off in in fixed income markets and and equity markets last week. Yeah, and, and since then the the UK government's kind of backtracked, have they not? They have. They have uh, indeed. They they uh, there was a, a tweet. I think it was yesterday morning from the uh, the, the the chancellor uh, saying that you know we get it and we have listened and they're gonna they're gonna remove that tax cut from the budget. Uh, and it seems like things have settled down a little bit, certainly in the rates market. We've seen yields lower 
in the the UK market as well as in the, in the US market as as well, and then of course the equity markets appreciated that that back uh, back peddling as well, and, uh, and it seems like a lot of that fiscal kind of uncertainty that was caused by the UK has kind of been removed at least for for now. Yeah, uh, agreed, and and just I mean notably, I think it was from the the twenty seventh um, through. Uh, the I'm sorry, the 22nd through the 27th of September, I think yields moved about 100 basis points from three, 10 year yields, that is, from three and a half to about four and a half, causing um, the distress and then thus the uh, intervention from the from the Bank of England. Uh, on this side of the Atlantic, um, we did get some consumer confidence numbers that were higher than expected. So what you're seeing here in, in, in the slides that we're showing for those who are so we're viewing this podcast, uh, consumer confidence was 108 versus uh, the expectation of 103.2, so better than expected. Q2 GDP in the U.S. was effectively as uh, as expected, negative uh, 0.6, right in line with uh, the, the consensus. Uh, and then the GDP price index quarter over quarter was actually 4.7% uh, versus the 4.4% expectation, which caught the market just a little bit off guard. Um, and, and as we continue at LPL Research to look at for uh, further signs of a deceleration in inflation uh, and inflation moving in a, in, a, in a downwardly direction, that was a little bit of a shot to that expectation. But I don't know that the GDP price index um, is broadly followed. Uh, but but it, it's something certainly to pay attention to. Um, and the let's move to the Federal Reserve policy overhang, Lawrence. And, and, and I know um, the, the, the notion of this has kind of changed a little bit over the last kind of 36 hours. Um, but, you know, Lael Brainerd's speech, you know, where she acknowledged uh, a stability concern, particularly in emerging markets uh, that may be being caused by some central bank policy activity, but still pressed on the notion that that rates should indeed go higher. Um, so how is how is that playing out over the last the 36 hours in terms of what the UN has had to say, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, for sure. It, it does seem to be that there's kind of a, a, a break between uh, you know certain members within the FOMC. The you know the, the FOMC is the monetary committee that that uh, that you know uh, manages the short-term interest rate hikes. And there seems to be like a, a group of, of folks within the FOMC that want to go, you know, more aggressive. They want to continue to raise rates at, at the current pace and current magnitude and, and get to what they call, you know, uh, tight uh, monetary conditions as soon as possible. Where then you have others like Lael Brainerd and, and some other folks that are saying, you know, we've already done a lot and maybe we will continue to, to raise rates, but maybe we don't need to go 75 basis points every meeting uh, because there are you know, inevitably there's going to be spillover concerns into other parts of the world. You know, kind of what happens here in the interest rate market doesn't stay here. It does impact other other locales as well. Uh, and that was that was followed up, I think it was yesterday, by a UN um, or UN concerns about the the elevated rate hiking campaign that's going on globally, frankly. Uh, and the UN was was cautioning that again there will be uh, you know financial stability concerns if the 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 Fed and other central banks continue to raise rates at the pace that they are currently raising rates. Because one thing to remember too about rate hikes is that they do have a long and variable lag time. So a lot of these central banks have only started raising rates over the past you know, six, seven months. And we those rate hikes haven't really filtered into the real economy yet. So 
um, you know, there's there's the potential for you know over tightening. I, I would say, uh, particularly at the at the rate and the magnitude that uh, we are seeing rate hikes. But it it did cause maybe some some uh, discussion within I think some of these central banks, and certainly we're seeing it in the market pricing. And you know, maybe the the Fed doesn't have to go seventy five in November. Uh, they likely will, but um, you know, there. I think that does put some additional doubt into markets. And uh, and if there's any sort of kind of slowdown in in rate hiking expectations, that's tended to be good for risk assets and and frankly for for treasury market yields as well. Yeah, and and I think the market has been pricing in this expectation, and we've talked a lot about it in terms of conversations that we have weekly in our strategic and tactical asset allocation committee. Is that I think the market's pricing in the, the fact that the Federal Reserve is absolutely and utterly not going to blink at all whatsoever. Um, and, and that may generally be the case. But I mean, I think what the the U.N. statement raised was it, it reminded folks of of the the possibility that the Federal Reserve could slow down. Uh, and, and you mentioned before we got on um the uh, the bank of australia actually you know did a little bit of a less of a rate hike at, at 25 basis points versus the 50 basis point expectation so i think it just reminded folks that um there there may be still that possibility that central banks are going to blink here um we're good right now we're really kind of taking it um taking them at their word but that um you know perhaps the markets were you know overpricing the fact that that you know the central all central banks were going to plow ahead, and that and that's why the 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 UN statement perhaps caught markets off uh, you know off guard just a little bit. Um, so just talk about I'll I'll just cover off on the S and P five hundred uh, index through nine months historic. Um, we've talked a lot about it really at an ad nauseum level in this podcast and other uh, other things that we do. Third worst performance through nine months since 1931. That's according to Bloomberg. Um, that is outstandingly bad. Um, what makes it worse, honestly, Lawrence, and you can speak to this, is we, we haven't gotten any respite from the, the fixed income uh, markets. So I don't know that I've got similar statistics off the top of my head through nine months. But, you know, you, uh, just again, a brief comment on, on fixed income performance is really offered folks really no safe haven through the balance of of 2022 so far yeah and that's been the problem uh frankly that you know equity markets they do go through these periods where they where you see these drawdowns and uh and usually in you know and historically anyway bonds have been there to help support the the negative price action that we see out of equity markets they just haven't played that role this year you know this is the first time since i think 1976 where we've had three consecutive quarters of both negative uh, stock prices and bond prices. So this is this is kind of the longest streak of of you know bonds not playing that traditional role within the equity market drawdown. So it, I mean that's, I think that makes it tougher for a lot of investors out there to see their their, their statements. They had a diversified asset allocation, uh, and and you know frankly the, the bonds weren't there to provide that support that they have historically. Now we do think that 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 relationship or the the ability for bonds to play that diversifying role has improved with these higher yields, but um, that that's uh, that hasn't helped certainly over the over the past nine months for sure. Yeah, and and that may that's probably working a little bit better over the last couple of days. But um, uh, as as you know, kind of now uh, bonds are getting uh, people are recognizing the opportunity that perhaps has been 
uh, afforded them in, in bonds based on the activity that we've seen, historic acti activity we've seen in fixed income. Um, let's just turn the conversation into um, what people can expect, you know, this week in terms of U.S. economic data. Um, you know, I ISM was, you know, actually a little bit less than expected, which, you know, may feed into some of this activity that we're seeing um, in risky asset prices. Um, however, contrary that may seem, because we are getting a slow down in activity that the Federal Reserve clearly wants. You know, Lawrence, before we got on, we talked about this morning's Jolt's job openings number, which was about a million uh, light uh, versus expectations. Again, you know, the, the Federal Reserve's work is, is, is you know, you're basically focused on the jobs market and, and, and correcting what is a, what they term as an overly tight jobs market. You know, Jolt's job openings that are coming in less than expected. So that number was about 10 million versus the 11 million or so expected. Um, it's coming in, uh, the, you know, that lower than expected number is actually, you know, feeding into the concept that the Federal Reserve is actually, um, you know, impacting uh, the, the economy in a way that was expected. Um, and then just as we look throughout the balance of the week, um, PMI numbers are always important. ISM services number, initial claims on Thursday, again, always important. Uh, and then on Friday, um, we actually get uh, the U.S. non-farm payrolls number, which is, you know, uh, which is uh, now getting an expectation or a consensus forecast of 290,000 jobs to be added to the economy. Prior number was um, 308, and, and the employment rate as of today is expected to stay steady um, at 3.7%. In, in, in international uh, economies, um, it's really all about PMI and manufacturing activity across, you know, major areas of, of the non-U.S. globe. We pay specific attention to kind of the Eurozone broadly. So I've highlighted in the previous chart and also um, this table, um, some of the more important numbers that people pay attention to in terms of what's going on, not only in U.S. economics, but also uh, international economics, you know, as, as well. So the PMI numbers are going to be uh, key for people to keep an eye on uh, as we pace through this week. Um, in terms of other issues that are likely going to drive conversation, you know, we've we've touched a little bit about uh, the UN statement and and you know the perhaps you know, change in some level of expectations that may be occurring in terms of the way market market participants think about central banks. Um, we mentioned already that the UK government's kind of backtracked in its plan for a tax cut, um, and that has also improved market conditions uh, in the pound, pound and also reduced uh, gilt yields. Um, we went into the week focused on some UK and Eurozone bank stress, distress, and that conversation was prompted by some some uh, news coming out of Credit Suisse and also just by the general um, problem in the UK um, and, and, and the pension funding um, and the LDI issue going on in the UK. So that's, although you know, some of that talk has been a little bit washed away by some of the market activity over the last couple of days, uh, still something to keep an eye on in terms of whether 
you know, central bank activity is going to actually start, you know, start breaking things. Um, so you keep an eye on that in, in the UK and the Eurozone, because I think it's a general consensus view that, um, that you know, the, the banking complex in the US is much stronger than it is in, in the UK and Eurozone. So if something is going to break, it may come out of the UK and the Eurozone first. Notable earnings. Um, people are going to be pay attention likely to pricing input costs and volume uh, just from like an inflation perspective. So Constellation Brands, McCormick and ConAgra are set to report this week. So three notable companies that you may want to keep an eye on. Uh, and then obviously tomorrow's, as we sit here today on a Tuesday, tomorrow's, which is Wednesday's OPEC plus meeting, uh, where the broad expectation uh, is that um, members are going to discuss a potential production cut of approximately, you know, one beer, one million barrels a day, which is just a little over one percent of total um, uh, global production. Um, just in terms of that, you know, talk of the OPEC meeting or what may come out of the OPEC plus meeting on on Wednesday, it's caused a little bit of a bounce, as we can see here in oil prices, not not dramatic um and it really hasn't changed the narrative around decelerating oil prices which oh by the way is 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 beneficial for uh, our inflation story and the globe's inflation story but um we've been discussing commodities here in this forum and other forums for the last several months uh indicating that we believe the commodities trade is perhaps over in this cycle um at least the best of that trade is perhaps over uh, in this cycle. So here we look, we're looking at WTI accrued futures that are really giving no indication, at least so far, that technically it's ready to um, recognize a material rebound. And certainly the trend is not your friend in, in this case. Um, we've also talked about, and again, in this forum and other forums, um, the, the bearish sentiment that we were recognizing uh, in markets dramatic bearish sentiment we were recognizing in markets over the last you know several weeks or so you know i mentioned this in in our street view video so historic levels of bearish responses to the aai survey um and this chart goes back you know 10 plus years 12 years so we reached um bearish responses in the aa survey survey that we haven't seen in the last 12 years, which is a notable outcome. We, we think people should uh, be paying attention to. So effectively what you're getting uh, out of this market so far today and also yesterday was um, a, a UN um, release effectively, the UN statement, uh, you know, a change in central bank expectations, perhaps just a little bit um, coupled with an overall overly bearish sentiment framework that, that's helped cause some of this rebound um, in the market, uh, again, so far over today um, and yesterday. If I further that notion just a little bit, um, again, when you look at not only the AAII survey, but a percentage of S&P 500 index constituents with new four-week lows, again, that reached um, levels that we haven't, we've only rarely seen over the last 20 years. Um, and those instances were 9-11, the, the, the GFC, uh, the Greek Eurozone contagion effectively 
obviously the COVID pandemic and now um, in 2022's inflation discussion, inflation dynamic, which has driven um, historical bearishness when it comes to um, uh, this particularly indicator. Uh, and last, and oh, by the way, you know, when we when we created this chart on Friday, we we labeled it tactical balance pending. We, we perhaps have gotten our answer to that already. Um, this just furthers that conversation. Percentage of S and P five hundred index constituents um, with with um, with with new four week lows. We we discussed that, but we're looking at RSI here on this chart again at a historic low um, relative to the recent past, and percentage of members with uh, prices greater than the fifty day moving average. That is at um, a, a a trend low here. So again, this market was was setting up for a rebound. Um, it took a little bit of uh, news out of the UN in order to perhaps get us there, but we were in a condition that was dramatically you know, oversold. Um, on the inflation front, because we added this chart, so Lawrence, and I'll ask for your, your view here in a second, but you know, again, you know, our view as a strategic and tactical asset allocation committee is that Inflation has already started to be started to roll over, um, and perhaps it could pick up speed over the next, you know, several months. We will see. We would expect some of the Federal Reserve work so far to 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 lead to perhaps um, exactly that. But um, and and Lawrence, just in terms of how the bond market is is viewing this construct in terms of a potential trend change in. Um, inflation, you know, what's on your mind in that regard? Yeah, so obviously inflation is the is the big concern for for fixed income investors because you know higher prices with fixed coupons means you're getting less uh, a, a purchasing power. So you know bond markets are are hypersensitive to inflation and expected inflation. And one of the interesting developments in the bond market is if we look at the difference between nominal treasury yields and these uh, treasury inflation protect, protected security yields. Uh, that comes up with a, a break-even analysis or kind of what market is, is implying the inflation expectations will be over a, a certain amount of time. These market-implied inflation expectations have really fallen off a cliff. You know, back in, in March of this year, you know, markets were thinking that, you know, inflation over the next two, three, five years was going to be, you know, significantly elevated relative to the, the Fed's 2% target. Now we're seeing, you know, three, five, you know, 10, 30 year kind of time periods back in line with that historical 2% target that the Fed's aiming for. So whether the, the the actual realized inflation gets back down to that 2% level, you know, the bond markets are forecasting that, that the Fed is going to be successful in their rate hiking campaign uh, and, and, and arrest these, con, uh, you know, generationally high consumer uh, you know, price increases. Uh, so right now, right now, you know, the bond market isn't worried about inflation lingering or in coming this new uh you know inflation regime where we have you know four or five percent inflationary uh, pressures on, on a go forward basis the the bond market is kind of signaling that you know the, the fed is going to win this battle yeah um and indeed and, and just in terms of some of the forecasting that's going on by um economists uh, in in the industry i mean it, it's given that we we effectively shut off an economy and turned it back on. 
um, e economists in general are trying to get their bearings around, you know, setting forecasts for a number of data series, inflation being one of them. So, you know, I referred to the GDP price index earlier and the fact that it was higher than expectations. Well, um, I mean, it's been such a moving target, not only for inflation, but PMIs and et cetera, et cetera. We're seeing, um, you know, sometimes numbers being uh, very different than the consensus estimate. And that's just because we're, we're trying to get our hands on um, what's going on in this economy. Again, when you when you turn it off and then turn it back on, dramatic things can, you know, can tend to happen. And we're 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 certainly seeing that. Um, so. Want to also uh, touch on uh, the the activity that we're seeing in in fixed income, Lawrence, and 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 you know at the strategic and at tactical asset allocation meetings that we have every Monday, we've talked about duration quite a bit. Um, and recently, yet in yesterday's meeting, we also talked about um, our S and P five hundred index. Uh, target and whether um, that body should you know should change that target level. So more on more on that to come. Um, but um, in terms of duration, I think we've been waiting for this time, Lawrence. And I know that you know you talked a little bit about this uh, this morning in the morning call. But we've been waiting for a time to increase duration based on uh, a, a market that may have reached somewhat of an irrational state. Maybe what what do you what do you say to that? Yeah, for for sure we. We definitely uh, have changed the way we're thinking about the fixed income markets, given the, the big backup in yields that we've seen. So what we're showing here is uh, we have updated our 10-year uh, Treasury end of yield forecast. You know, coming into, um, frankly, the last couple of weeks, we, we were thinking maybe yields can get back to 275 to 325. But with this, you know, prolonged uh, inflationary battle that the Fed is, is determined to fight, uh, and at, with the release of their, their latest uh, you know, Fed funds forecast, uh, we have changed our, our view uh, you know, marginally. You know, here in, in LPL research, we do use a lot of these quantitative uh, tools and, and models to inform our decisions. Uh, and for these interest rate forecasts specifically, uh, we use a lot of these econometric models that allow us to look at the relationship between some of these fundamental factors like you know, economic growth expectations, inflation expectations, kind of Fed terminal rate, foreign demand, equity volatility, et cetera, and how that uh, relates or what that relationship is to uh, treasury yields and uh, and and that allows us to kind of model out those relationships which allows us to then to stress and and, and um, you know provide a, a forecast for for 10-year treasury yields so the the big change that we've really seen recently uh, when we plug in the this new fed funds terminal rate that was released i think it was a couple of weeks ago by the fed uh, with a higher than expected Fed terminal rate now that you know the the, the the FOMC thinks that the Fed terminal rate is around four and a half percent. So when we plug that into our model, we do come up with a, a kind of a, a fundamental fair value number of, of 3.5 percent on the 10-year treasury yield. But then we what we do is we we stress those those factors under you know 10,000 different scenarios to come up with a range of potential outcomes. You know, we know that point estimates in this business are, are popular, but they're they're not very you know precise. Uh, the markets are, are are too volatile for that type of precision. Precision, so we do want to have a, a range of potential outcomes. Uh, so we stress these models and, and these factors ten thousand times and, and come up with a range. So that range is now determined to be three point two five to three point seven five percent for for the year end target. Um, you know we've seen a big move in in yields already. 
Uh, and that kind of relates to our second decision that we've we've made recently, and that is to kind of neutralize our underweight duration positioning within our tactical asset allocation portfolios. Uh, so if you want to go to the, the next slide, you know, we've been running model portfolios that um, that were underweight duration. We've had about a, a, a half a year underweight uh, to these these uh, within these portfolios relative to our index, which is the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index. Uh, so we've kind of kept that that underweight bet in, in place until recently, where we did want to neutralize that uh, that that duration allocation because of just the, the move higher in yields. You know, recession risks are increasing given the the, the global coordinated uh, central bank tightening that we're seeing. So we want to add that interest rate risk, which tends to offset that equity risk within portfolios. Uh, and we also think that we also want to take advantage of, of these higher yields. So. Uh, we did decide as a committee to neutralize that underweight duration bet. I mean, we've seen yields move significantly this year. If you think about where we came from back in August of 2020 at 50 basis points, we got as high as uh, you know close to 4%, um, so which is one of the largest moves higher in, in the 10-year Treasury yield since 1983 and 84, right? So we've seen a big move out of Treasury yields already. So we do want to take advantage of that. We also tend to see you know Treasury yields peaking before the Fed gets done. We're not calling, you know, we're not saying the yields are going to peak at this at this point uh, because there's just a lot of illiquidity and volatility in the, in the treasury market. But we do think that the, the big move higher in, in yields has already taken place. So we do want to take advantage of, of that uh, that move higher. Yeah, yeah, Lawrence. And, 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 and again, um, you know, the Strategic and Tactical Asset Allocation Committee has been talking about this for months. Um, and looking for the right time to make that uh, duration uh, change, um, at, you know, as we as we got some of that, you know, that upside activity lifting ten-year Treasury yields at four percent ish, you know, um, in the last couple of weeks, we thought now was the time. I, and, and you raise a good point: is is that you know that typically you know yields peak before the Fed actually gets done with its work. Um, you know, given that that historic trend, maybe that happens again, and and we've we've got this pinpointed, you know, fairly well. We've we've we look good over the last couple of days. So we'll see if that that continues. Never want to hang your hat on that, though. Um, let's talk about um, high yield, which is which is um, an interesting space in terms of what some of these companies have been able to do. Um, you know, in, in the in the low interest rate environment, you know, directly around COVID. So, so speak to that a little bit, Lawrence. Yeah, for sure. The high yield corporate credit market is an area that we've kind of uh, legged into a little bit here in our tactical asset allocation models over, over the past few months. I, I would say, in that, um, you know, we we have seen higher yields, and we we certainly want to take advantage of that. We're not going all in on on high yield at this point, but we do think it is a, a pretty attractive opportunity if you have a holding period that's that's measured in years and, and not months, uh, particularly because we think that the default expectations have have really been overblown in the, the, the high yield corporate credit market. Market implied default rate over the next 12 months is between seven to 8%, uh, depending on how you kind of measure recovery rates and, and liquidity, premiums, liquidity premiums. But if you look at the, this top chart, the, the top chart is showing how much of, of the existing debt has to be paid off over you know the, the next couple of years, uh, and and then kind of what needs to be rolled over, and and how much of the the market actually needs to access the capital markets to pay off some of this debt, uh, and companies have done a really good job of taking advantage of, of low interest rates. They've termed out their debt, meaning they've extended the maturity on a lot of this, this debt. 
So less than 6% of the existing high yield market needs to access the capital markets over the next couple of years, less than 8% if you go all the way out to 2024. So the fact that markets are pricing at a default rate of 7 to 8% when high, these high yield companies don't need to access the capital markets uh, like they have in the past, you know, we think that, the, that some of these, these um, spread widening is, is overblown. And the bottom chart is, is just kind of reinforce the the uh, the fact that you know these these companies have taken advantage of of lower rates and and you know easy access to capital markets the amount of debt that's been issued over the last couple of years over 400 billion dollars of debt was issued in 2020 and in 2021 which was the most on on record uh you know at least over the over the past decade so um you know the financial uh stability of the high yield corporate credit market is in pretty good shape uh, and because they don't have to access the capital markets anytime soon, I think the, the maturity wall here we're showing is is 2029. That's when a lot of that debt becomes due. Uh, we think that there's going to be a, you know a, a pretty good opportunity to to take advantage of, of these higher yields and higher spreads that we're seeing in the in the high yield market. Yeah, and 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 I think I think the message is is that you know we as you delivered uh, Lawrence's we would wade in here just a little bit. Um, I mean you're you're likely going to continue to see volatility in, in this space as as the market kind of figures this thing out a little bit. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is, as we've talked um, as, as a research department and, and, and as financial advisors and fiduciaries uh, for a long time about where are we gonna get income? Where are we gonna get income? Well, now's an opportunity if you can, you know, stomach some near-term volatility um, to put some income away. Um, in, in, in the high yield market, you know, obviously active, Portfolio management is what you want to do in in, in high yield. So 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 there is that, but you do have an opportunity here in, in terms of the strength of some of the balance sheets and high yield, um, and and also uh, some of the yields and spreads that you're seeing in in high yield to actually uh, do some work and put some income uh, into your portfolio and 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 be glad you did um, over the next you know uh, several years. At least that's the way we think about it. Um, Lawrence, I, I want to thank you for for joining us, uh, folks. Uh, thank you for joining us um, as, as well. Wanted to try to give you a little bit of insight in terms of what we're thinking uh, on a day to day basis at uh, at LPL Research and and what um, what issues are driving our conversation in terms of our strategic and tactical asset allocation committee work. So um, have a good day uh, and have a good week, and we'll see you next week. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer 
Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.